Welcome to My Bible Study, a verse-by-verse devotional study through the Bible with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. In this unique series, Pastor Bob takes you through the Bible just a few verses at a time. No preaching, just a simple Bible reading with examples and explanations of the meaning behind the scriptures. My Bible study will take you from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through the book of Revelation. Now, here is Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello everyone everywhere. This is Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Welcome to my Bible study. And we this is a verse by verse walk through the Bible and we've been studying in Genesis chapter 2. Now, because most of the rest of the chapter chapter uh, in Genesis chapter 2 was already discussed really in detail from our teaching in chapter 1, I'm just going to highlight some of the things as we conclude our study today of chapter 2. So we'll begin at verse number 5 and run through verse number 25. So verse 4 is simply the introduction of the third point Moses is trying to make about the creation. Uh, Point 1 and 2, Moses used the name for God of Elohim. And the third point, he uses the name for the first time, Jehovah Elohim, translated the Lord God. The plants referred to in verse 5 are not the trees and you know the bushes and all that. These are referring to plants that specifically needed cultivation. These are the plants Adam was to tend to and take care of. Let's read that in verse 5. Every plant of the field before it was in the earth, every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused the rain on the earth, there was not a man to till the ground. So we're talking here about what it was man was going to take care of. But notice what was just said, or is said in verse 5, the end of verse 5 and verse 6. The Lord had not caused it to rain upon the earth, for there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. It never rained in the Garden of Eden. Or for that matter, it never rained on the entire earth because it says it watered the whole face of the ground. A mist went up from the earth. This just wasn't local to the Garden of Eden. It never rained on the earth, period. All right. Remember, I discussed this in detail in our earlier study in chapter 1. The importance of this scripture will become evident as we study the time leading up to the event what is known as Noah's Flood. This is why... Noah really was mocked by the people of his day while he and his sons built the ark out on dry ground away from the, the water. The folks are asking, why, Noah, why are you building this big boat out here in the middle of the desert? And his response would be, because God's going to send rain on the earth. They're looking at each other like, what's rain? To which he'd respond, rain is simply water falling from the sky. Now, at that, they'd all bust up laughing and mocking him. What a fool. Everybody knows water doesn't fall from the sky. Can you imagine the look of shock on their faces when those first few raindrops started to fall? What's that? It's water. Water falling from... Wait a minute. That's something they'd never seen before. And it's proven right here. God puts that in Genesis chapter 2 for you to understand this. Not to confuse you, to understand this. It said, it had not, God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. It did not rain. It doesn't say God did not, had not caused it to rain in the Garden of Eden. 
does not say that. It did not rain on the earth. Instead, a mist came up to water all the plants. All over the earth. Not just the garden, but all over the earth. All right? Now, I think we hammered that point home. Anyway, I'm getting way ahead of myself here. I mean, <laughs> again, we're going to cover this in detail. Uh, but can you imagine the look on their face when those raindrops hit? And they look over at the ark like, maybe Noah's onto something here. And they look over and they see that big door close because it says God closed the door. Right? It wasn't Noah pulling on ropes trying to get that big door. God closed the door. When God, when God, when the door God closes, no man can open. Amen. So anyway, as I'm getting way ahead of myself. We'll cover that when we get there. Uh, the point I want to make is about chapter 2, verse 6, that a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the earth. It never rained. Amen. Now, we need to pay close attention to what is written in verses 7 to 17. And again, because we covered a lot of this in my prior study on day 6, I'm not really going to go into verse-by-verse verse description. We're just going to summarize this because I want to conclude chapter 2 today in the time we have left. God formed man from the dust of the ground. He planted a garden toward the east of Eden, somewhere in Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq. Uh, that's what some people say is modern-day Iraq. They do that because of the there's a river flowing out of Eden into the garden where God placed man. But do you want to know where it is now determined that the Garden of Eden was located? Ancient streams and riverbeds can now be identified by satellite. On the ground, you can't see them. But there are changes under the surface of the ground that indicates where you know, subterranean features were at. If you go out into the desert and dig a trench, put it like that, and then fill it back in. And on the surface, everything, you can go 10, 15 years later, on the surface, everything looks exactly the same. The technology is available today from satellite. They can still see where that trench is at because the underlying topographic features don't match up. On the surface, you can't see any difference at all, but the satellite imagery can penetrate that ground and analyze the terrain, the terrain and the features, and they can see exactly where that trench was at. Well, they use that same technology to analyze the subterranean features of this area, and they have discovered that these rivers discussed in the Bible that we're going to talk about, they could follow them, and they've located, actually, a convergence point near what is Tanzania now. But let me, let me go into that a little bit more. The river that flowed into the garden divided into four rivers. Where were they divided? Well, basically in the Garden of Eden. But this garden has an important... The Garden of Eden has an important role in the course of history. See, the land where God planted... It, it's impacting what's happening in the 21st century today, okay? In verses 11, 12, 13, and 14, the names of these rivers are given. They're the Pishon, the Gihon, the Tigris, and the Euphrates. 
Now, I interviewed, oh gosh, two years ago, a modern-day Indiana Jones. Uh, named, his name is Stan Dale. He's a physicist, a former government researcher, uh, who's worked on many top-secret projects for the government that we discussed on the podcast. But anyway, in his research, he discovered a possible location for the original Garden of Eden. And when he published his findings, you know, some ridiculed him, that doesn't match up with what we think it is and all that. But he has the scientific evidence to back up his claims. And he did such a thorough job in doing this, they were so accurate, ABC News dispatched a team to go and check it out. And they made a documentary out of it. The location today is called Gan Aden. Gan, G-A-H-N, A-D-E-N, Gan Aden, and is located in modern-day Tanzania. And Gan Eden is Hebrew for Garden of Eden. Cool thing. And this is what the place is called, Gan Aden, right? The features line up almost exactly with the biblical descriptions of the rivers when you follow the, the ancient, uh, what are now dried-up riverbeds, and you follow it through it matches up almost exactly with what the Bible says it should be. There are even two volcanoes, ancient volcanoes, that are the flaming swords of cherubim that guarded each end so that Adam and Eve could not re-enter the garden area because it would have been too volatile. The, the volcanic ash, the, the lava and things like that would have kept them out. And the Bible is described as two as a, a, a cherubim with flaming swords guarding the entrance that matches up with the Bible exactly what they have on the ground. And it's really fascinating to see. Uh, there's even a Tanzanian tour company that will take you there. And they run tours there all the time. This has not been widely pro, uh, publicized. Why? Why has it been publicized on a grander scale? Well, for the same reason you don't hear about the archaeological excavation taking place right now, today, on Mount Ararat, where they've identified Noah's Ark. They have received permission to go in there and start a dig. For decades, they said, no, you can't do it. We're not going to allow you to do it. Until now. I interviewed Ted Wright with Epic Archaeology back in the summer of 2019, and he has so much detail on this, and he, he's so involved in it. They invited him to be one of the archaeologists to go there and dig. He is there right now. I don't know if he's there because uh, the timing of, of this is uh, at this recording is the end of 2019. But he may be back home right now. But he was over there beginning in October, and he was supposed to stay over there a couple months, so he's probably just getting ready to come back if he's not back already. But they were over there digging for Noah's Ark with permission of the government down there. So praise the Lord, these things are happening right now in this earth. So why aren't we hearing about them? To publicly acknowledge these things would require the evolutionist community to admit they were wrong, which by default and proof, which we covered back in our study of, of days one through six, this would prove that the Bible was right and they were wrong. And if the Bible is right about that and about creation and all these things that we've already discussed, 
then society as a whole would have to admit that the story of Jesus is true also. That Jesus really is Lord of all, according to the Bible. And that is something world leaders do not want to ever admit. If they did that, they would lose their power base. Because everyone would now say, well, if the Bible's true, we should believe God and not man. Kind of what the apostles said to the uh, ruling authorities back in the days after Jesus died, isn't it? Right? Whether we should believe God or obey God or man, you be the judge. When they were told, don't preach about Jesus anymore. This is the same concept. If word got out and they had to publicly admit Noah's Ark is real, it's here on top of the mountain, that would indicate there was a flood. If there was a flood, and that's what was depicted in the Bible, and all these other archaeological digs are finding cities and proof of names of, of people who were in that area, you know, the pharaohs and Moses, all these things, maybe the whole Bible is true. If the whole Bible is true, that means the end of the Bible is true. And if the end of the Bible is true, that means this is describing the day and time in which we live right now. That means what's about to happen is true. And if what's about to happen is true, that means we need to repent and get right with God right now so that we can inherit everlasting life and not eternal damnation. That would remove the power base from all these politicians whose only goal is not the betterment of the nation, but to hold on to power. That's all they want. Amen. Don't get me off. Don't shut me down when I'm preaching good. Glory to God. All right. Around what two rivers are all the major events taking place today in the news? There's a reason why these events are taking place around these two rivers. The rivers are the Tigris and the Euphrates over in the Middle East. Also, there's only one major world power mentioned in the Bible, Assyria. Anyway, I don't have time to get into to what's happening over there right now, but let's move on. Verse 15, we are told what the man is to do in the Garden of Eden. Verse 16 and 17, the man is told, well, let's, let's read that. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. All right? These are the plants that needed cultivation. Okay, Verse 16 and 17, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat it, for in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. He's permitted to Man is permitted to eat from any tree in the garden. This included the fruit from the tree of life. He was not to, he was to take care of that one. He was not to eat the fruit from, the, or he could eat from the fruit of the tree of life. He was not permitted to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If he ate that forbidden fruit, he would die. In the garden, Adam was told he could do four things. Cultivate the garden keep the garden, keep it in the same condition that it was when he was placed in the garden. And there's a good reason for this, as we'll see later. He could eat the fruit that grew on the trees, except the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He could name the animals and the birds that God would bring to him. Was this asking too much? Is there any reason, any logical reason why Adam could not do these four things? 
Because before we point a finger at Adam, remember, when you point a finger like this, I'm, I'm pointing to you on the camera right now, there's one finger pointed at you, but there's three pointing back at me, right? Think about that. Every time you point at someone else, there's three things you've done wrong pointing back at you. Here's a question for you. Where was Eve when all of this was happening? Was she standing behind Adam, watching what was happening, listening to what God was telling Adam? Well, verse 18 says, It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper. Now, if Eve was standing behind Adam, when God told Adam he could freely eat from all the trees in the garden except the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, who's this helper God's going to make for him? It wasn't one of the animals. It wasn't a bird. We're told God brought the animals and brought the birds of the sky to Adam so he could name them. Adam named them whatever their name was today. But for Adam, there was still not found a suitable helper. And there's a good reason. Now, let me just emphasize this point. There was a good reason why God brought all the animals and the birds to Adam to be named. Because giving the name to something was evidence of being Lord over it. All right. Think about uh, when the three Hebrew boys were, were taken before uh, the king of Babylon. He gave them Babylonian names because he's Lord over them. Okay. Now, when there was no suitable helper for Adam found, what did God do? Well, if go down verse 21, 22. It says he caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and performed the first ever surgery on earth. He opened out the side of Adam, took out a rib, closed the incision, and then used that rib to make Adam a woman. And then God was the first to give a bride to a groom and the first to perform a marriage ceremony. Verse 24 emphasizes the complete identity of the two personalities involved in marriage. And it is to be a monogamous, heterosexual marriage, not homosexual. He didn't make Adam a person named Steve, right? Adam and Eve, man and woman. The bond of marriage is to be a lasting one. It's to be a, between a man and a woman only. Period. End of story. It does not matter what a politician says. It does not matter what any other person on the face of the earth says. Marriage is between a man and a woman only. Period. End of story. Anyway, I don't want to get off on that. Death is the only just reason for breaking the bond of marriage, not because the grass looks greener on the other side of the fence. What is revealed to us in the account of the creation of the world is, according to the will of God, his plan for the course of history. Life in the world he created. That world has been changing and is still changing. The change was not God's doing, but man's. God never changes. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. Uh, he'll be the same forevermore. Amen. His will is always the same. We are living in a revolution right now unheard of in this country. It's a rebellion against God, against Jesus, against the Holy Spirit, against the Word of God. There is a darkness that has swept over this nation, and the world whose end result is going to be total destruction. Soon, very soon, the one which the Ancient of Days gave an everlasting kingdom to, a kingdom that will never be destroyed or given to another person ever, will come and take his rightful place upon that throne that was given to him. For the present, there, the only reason why he has not come yet 
is because God doesn't want to see anyone die unnecessarily. If Jesus came back right now with seven plus billion people on the face of this planet, of which only about two billion are professing Christians, that would be more than five billion people headed to hell. Those are unacceptable casualty numbers in God's eyes. So he's giving every person a chance to repent and to receive everlasting life through the sacrifice and forgiveness of his son, Jesus. His love is reaching out to every person. But there will come a time when he will no longer extend that option to mankind anymore. He will not extend his love and, and the side of God that is being denied today publicly by politicians, publicly by people spitting in God's face, publicly by promoting immorality and knocking down every Christian who's trying to take a stand for the Bible. We need to be ready for that day. Amen. We need to be ready for it. And the Holy Spirit is reaching out to those who are lost in the darkness of this present world. He will not force anyone to take his hand. The choice is left to the one whom he is reaching out to see, to save. Amen. If you feel a tug on your heart right now, it's not too late for you. Just accept the offer Jesus is giving to you. Ask him to forgive you of your sinful past and give you a new heart, a new inner spirit man that will live forever right now. That's all the time we have for today. It's Pastor Bob reminding you, be blessed. Thank you for joining Pastor Bob as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible in this series called My Bible Study. We pray this study will bring you closer to God and reveal His Word and His will for you through the Scriptures. We would consider it an honor and a blessing if you would support this outreach with your financial offerings. We have partnered with Patreon to offer you unique gifts and benefits for various levels of giving. Please visit our page on Patreon by going to patreon.com forward slash my Bible study podcast, all one word. That link again is patreon.com forward slash my Bible study podcast, all one word. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do.